I'm going to, if you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 107, Psalm 107, that's where we are going to be today. My, my wife and son were not able to come this morning. They're both under the weather, uh, but they would have loved to be here as well. Uh, we have a two-year-old son, so uh, Boaz is his name. Would you stand while I read uh, from God's Word? <clears throat> and we're going to do the, uh, the whole chapter today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and chains, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness, For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, He pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet, he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, 
and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here together in your presence, God. I pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit on us. God, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to listen and be obedient to what you have to say. God, I pray that you would set a guard over my mouth and you'd keep watch over the door of my lips, that what comes out would be of you, that would be edifying, that would be building up this body, and that most of all would bring you glory. Father, use your word to penetrate deep into our hearts. God, we are stubborn and stiff-necked as people, and we need to be pounded again and again and again with you, Lord. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for your mercy to us, God. But God, give us hearts that are willing to listen and obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. So I'm a, a little tied down today. Sometimes I move around a lot, but I'll, I'll try to stay here. Sometimes I stay here too. So, um, I just want to thank you again for, for having me. And I don't know, I'm, I'm overdressed, I see, but... That's all right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. If I, thank you. Um, as we jump into this psalm today, this, you'll notice that this is book five of the psalms. The psalms are divided into five books, five separate sections. And even though it's, in the, it's the start of a new book, if you look back over the last few psalms, you know, you've sung the song 10,000 Reasons before, I'm sure. Psalm 103, that's the start of that song, the chorus of that song. Uh, Psalm 104 ta- starts the same way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 105, O give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 106, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So this, this psalm that is, we're starting today, while we don't have context like we do sometimes in some of the passages, or a lot of the passages in Scripture, because we don't really know who wrote the psalm, we don't know when it was written, things like that. We don't know the details of this psalm. It is smack dab in the middle of a, a group of psalms that are just adoring and praising the Lord and recounting the things that the Lord has done. Now, about probably a week ago or so, I talked to Pastor Landon, and I said, so what do you plan on preaching on? Or maybe he asked me first. I don't remember. But both of us had no idea what we were preaching on yet today. So uh, in praying and, and seeking the Lord and in thinking and things, this is the passage I felt the Lord brought me to, and it actually fits in perfectly with Communion Sunday here. Because we've already seen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, if your sins have been atoned for, propitiated, then you have already seen the wonderful works of God. Even if you couldn't see anything else that was good in your life, if that's happened in your life, then you have witnessed the wonderful works of God. And that's a perfect place to start, right? So let's jump into this psalm, and we'll just kind of take it as it comes. Um, I was thinking through, you know, a lot of times I do an outline. um, At at our church, we do a handout uh, so people stay awake during the service. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of them might watch this video. I better be careful. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we do a, we do a handout. So I'll usually do some sort of sermon outline. And, and I was thinking about that and, and, and this morning. And I was like, you know what? Uh, well, first of all, I was short on time. But second of all, I was like, no, I'm not going to do an outline. I'm just gonna, we're just going to go with it. But I kind of, in my mind, I broke this into three kind of sections. So we'll kind of, maybe we'll approach it like that. Maybe we won't. But let's jump in right from the beginning. So it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. 
And I want you to stop and I want you to think about that for a second. How long does your mercy endure? Mo- <laughs> a minute? <laughs> Depends on the person, maybe. Right? Hopefully to your spouse, you have very long mercy. Right? Because our spouses, they do things that irritate us and frustrate us and hurt us sometimes, too. Right? So, but hopefully we've got mercy towards our spouse and hopefully they have mercy towards us. Right? Your children, hopefully you've got some mercy for your children. But it doesn't matter what your relationship and who the person is, there's, there's usually a point where we get to the, the end of what we think we can handle. Right? So this person has hurt me too many times Right? Or they haven't, you know, your children, they haven't been obedient to me too many times so that the mercy has run out and it's time for a judgment. Right? Now, there's judgment. The, the Bible doesn't say God is not the judge. It does say he is the judge and there is judgment. But his mercy endures forever. forever. His faithful love endures forever. That's something that the psalmists whether it's David or someone else, they continually are reminding themselves and each other is that, listen, our God is a merciful God. Our God is a merciful God. We sometimes focus in our American culture a lot on God's love and his mercy to the extent that we don't talk about his holiness, his righteousness, his wrath, right? They understood that. They understood that of all people, they had seen it over and over again. Um, you think of, uh, of Israel going, in, you know, going out of Egypt and going into the promised land, and you think of the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt. Right? Terrible devastation, absolutely destroyed Egypt to the point of taking all the firstborn males. Right? So, I mean, the, when they left Egypt, Egypt was pretty much, they were ruined economically. And then they come to the promised land, and God has them wipe masses of people out. I was having a conversation with somebody at the post office of all places not too long ago and they were talking about, you know, God is, you read through the Bible and it's just, I mean, God is just so, it's like he's evil. Like he, he just, he brings massacre on people and violence and all this other stuff, right? Well, why did that happen? Why did he use Israel? Why did he have them wipe out the people who were in the land of Canaan? Because of their extreme wickedness. Right? There is judgment. There is wrath. And the people of Israel saw that. They knew that to be true. Right? Um, you know, we talk about the priests. We talk about atonement. Think of the times where someone tried to offer a sacrifice that was wrong or someone who was not authorized to sacrifice or to go into the presence of the Lord. What happened to them? They got burned up. Right? The sons of Korah, that rebellion. So they knew God's wrath. They didn't know Jesus either. Jesus hadn't come onto the scene yet. So they knew God's wrath, but they continually reminded themselves, yes, God is righteous. He's holy. He's filled with wrath, but his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And that's important too. As we, as we go through this psalm, we see several times where, you know, sin has consequences, and it's not just God being mean. Right? God is not mean. God is just. And so he's, he has set things into place that say, you know what, if, if this is the way that you live, these are the consequences of those actions. Right? And, and those things hold true regardless of whether we know God or not. 
And there are some things that are good also that are consequences of actions and principles that people use even apart from knowing God. For instance, money management, right? There's things, the Bible talks a lot about money. So if we are wise with our money, we end up multiplying the money that we have, right? And that's regardless of whether we're a believer or not. Conversely, if we murder somebody, there's consequences to that, regardless of whether you know God or not, right? So there's some things that God is just, this is how he's established things to work. So when people reap the consequences of sin, it's not God being mean. It's God being just and allowing those things to happen. But as we get into this psalm today, the amazing thing is that we're going to see that his mercy, even in the midst of the consequences, his mercy is there, right? So we'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, scripture memory, memorization is a wonderful thing. It's something that I'm sure you guys talk about and encourage, right? Because it's important to have God's word hidden in our heart and in our mind. But if you, if you have a hard time with scripture memory and you say, I can't really do that, it's, just, it's too difficult, this is one verse you should cement into your brain. It's really easy too, right? There's songs that you can sing to help you remember this verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. There are no stipulations on this passage, okay? It's not when things are going well, right? At work and at home and at church, right? When things are going well, then we see God's mercy and we praise him, right? And when things aren't going well, then we cry out to God and we ask him to give us good things. But we don't praise him, right? Because we don't see that good thing. No, 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 no. Regardless of circumstance, this is who God is. He is good and his mercy endures forever. I was thinking through a title for a message and uh, titles are just whatever. But if you want to put a title on today's message, here's the title. How big is your God? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Again, we see that the pictures just gets a lot bigger when we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? They didn't know Jesus, but they had been redeemed by God from their enemies. The Egyptians, for instance, right? They had been rescued and set free from the Egyptian rule and brought into the promised land. So they had been redeemed. How much more have we been redeemed with the blood of Jesus and set free from the greatest enemy, Satan, the world and the flesh, right? We've been set free. We've been redeemed by God. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. How many of you might be in a wilderness right now or you've walked through a wilderness? Right? You're hungry, you're thirsty. Not, I mean, maybe, maybe for physical food and water. Maybe, maybe that's a place that you're in or have been in. But all of us, every single human being, at least that I know, at some point in their life, they get into a spot where they are starving inside. They have a longing a hunger within them that they cannot satisfy. It says in verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way that he might go to a city 
that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. God has, in, in here, this was, a very, this was a literal thing where he led them to a place where they could dwell in. But for us, it's also a literal thing, just not physically, right? God has led us to a city. He is leading us to the new Jerusalem as well, right? So we have a place to dwell in as well, in Christ right now. But then once that which is perfect comes to be, then it's going to be absolutely perfectly literal that we'll be in a new city to dwell in. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Now, this is the the first, you know, let's park here for a second. Because if you are still longing in your soul, and I don't just mean I'm longing to to have the perfect vision, right? I'm longing for that day to come. I don't mean that longing. I mean that longing deep inside of you that is unquenchable. That maybe you're going after drugs or alcohol or whatever. You're trying to fill that void in you, that dissatisfaction that you have. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to ever fill that longing. Because that is a longing, a God-sized hole that he has created inside of every single human being that can only be met completely by him. And it doesn't matter whether you're here in Kakana, Wisconsin, or you're in Dallas, Texas, or you're in Mozambique, or China. It's the plot of every single human being the plight of every single human being. All of us have that longing within us. So if you don't know that, Joel was talking about, you need to come to know Jesus. Yeah, talk to us. Right? We'd be happy to, to lead you to the one who can satisfy. It's not us. It's not Freedom Fellowship. Right? It's not Community Bible Church. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy that. On the other side, if you have come to know Jesus and you're coming to know more and more the satisfaction that comes in knowing him, then there is nothing that can happen to you in this life. There's nothing that can happen to me in this life that should ever be able to knock us off balance. Now that might sound really far-fetched, but if we have found our satisfaction in Christ Jesus, if we have come to know him as our Savior, as the propitiator, we've know, come to know him as our Master, as our Lord, then we also know that he's the creator of everything that exists. He's the God, the Lord, the great I Am, the Holy One, who is good and who cares for his children. Right? So there's nothing that should happen to us in this life that should knock us off balance. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. We give thanks to God because, simply because of who he is. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But then we also give him thanks for his wonderful works to the children of men. The works that we see him doing in the lives of those around us. The works that we see him doing in our own lives. right? The works that he has done and the works that he is doing and the works that he will continue to do. Verse 10. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, 
because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. This is, again, the plight of every human being. All of us, at one time, were in darkness. Some of you may be in darkness. Apart from Christ, that is who we are. We're trapped in darkness, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Again, that's who we are. Rebels at heart. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. You read some of the Psalms and that might seem the picture, right? Not just the Psalms, Job, right? God, you're not being fair. You're not being fair to me, God, right? This is not fair that I go through all this. this is, look at what a good person I've been, how I've feared you, how I've followed you and been obedient to you. I was, I've been listening to a sermon series from Erwin Lutzer. He used to be the pastor of Moody Memorial Church down in Chicago. And his, the theme of his message series is God's glory. The title of it is Nothing Else Matters. And it's been really, it's been challenging and good. But the message I've been listening to recently has been about suffering. And he talked about Job and he said, you know, Job was a good man. He was blameless in some ways. But God took him through suffering. He allowed the suffering to come because Job had to wake up to the fact that he still needed God. He still was a sinner. And the sin of really elevating himself, right, to a point where God had to be good to him. Sometimes we get that attitude too. And other times we just are lost. We're, we completely, we're walking in sin and we don't even care, right? Well, the wages of sin is death. There are consequences to sin. And this is what, what it says. The Lord brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And some of the psalmists, like David, they recognized at times, you know what? There is no one who can help me because the one who's punishing me is not a human being. It's God. And maybe you're in that place right now where you are reaping some of the consequences of sin and you feel crushed. Now, this is going to sound really strange, but be glad. Be glad that the Lord, in his mercy, in his goodness, is crushing you. Because you think about this, your, ch- your child, right? You're, you're disciplining your children, you're raising them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And you love them, obviously, right? So your child decides just to, you know, I'm not talking about a teenager or, or a, you know, someone who's out of the home. I'm talking about a small child. They decide they're just going to rebel against you, right? So you say, don't go into the street, right? And they decide, I'm just going to go in the street anyways, now, how much do you love them if you let them go and get hit by a car and killed? And you don't punish them when they go into the street. You wouldn't be a very loving parent, right? Because if you know, here's what's going to happen to them. If they go into the street, eventually, maybe not the first time, maybe not the tenth time, maybe the thousandth time they run into the street and they don't look, they get hit by a car. But whatever the case, the potential, that danger is there. Right? You're going to train them. You're going to discipline them. 
that this is, this is not what you do, right? And then as they get older, then they start to understand, and okay, I, I understand this is why we don't go on the street. God does the same thing with us, only much more perfectly than we do it with our own children, right? He perfectly punishes us and brings us to the point of brokenness. So if you're in the place in life right now where you are feeling crushed, be thankful. A lot of times we, you know, people who are in that point, they they come to understand much more clearly, again, the plight of every single human being. Because a lot of times we think that we're self-sufficient, right? We don't even think about it. We just, we just go about life and we're, we're self-sustaining and we're self-controlling and all these other things, right? And then trouble comes along and something over our head and then we realize, I can't sustain myself. I'm not really in control, right? Be thankful if you're in the place of being punished by God because that means he loves you. Look what it says in verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Those who are humble, the Lord draws near. Those who are humble, the Lord draws near. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the difference, you know, you, you've, I'm sure you folks are, know of Johnny Erickson Tata, right? She has been through a lot in her life, whether it was the original diving accident that paralyzed her or cancer or marital problems. She's been through a lot of things over the years, and God has done some amazing things in her life and through her life. But if Johnny Erickson Tata had not chosen to humble herself before the Lord, and she, she's written books about this as well, whether it was in, in her marriage, which they have a wonderful marriage, by the way. God has grown their marriage in many ways. But there was a time where she was feeling pretty alone in her marriage, right? And her husband didn't seem to care or be sensitive to her. There was a time, even after she made the movie with Billy Graham Association, after that, where she was feeling sorry for herself. So there were multiple times in our life. If, if Johnny Erickson Tata had not responded in humility and brokenness to the Lord and said, okay, Lord, this is my life, right? You know all about it. You know that some of these things might be consequences of my own decisions. You know that some of these things are consequences of other people's decisions. You know that this is the way I feel. I mean, think about it. God is the one who created us. He knows exactly what we think. He knows who we are, right? So if Johnny had not had that attitude and said, okay, Lord, this is your life, right? I know you love me. I know you're good. And I know you're going to use this for your glory and for my good. If she hadn't had that attitude, we wouldn't know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. The only reason we know of her is because she did have that attitude and therefore God was able to use her in the powerful ways that he has. So something to think about. What is the condition of your heart? Are you humble towards the Lord? Are you proud? He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. God has given us free will. He is sovereign. 
at the same time, and that is a paradox that we cannot fully understand. It's beyond us. But the amazing thing about it is, is, okay, God has all authority in heaven and earth. He can do as he pleases. But he's not going to force you into something that you are not willing to let him do. He might create the circumstances such that you have no other option, but it still requires you to be humble and say, okay, God. And that is what unleashes his power and authority in our lives. When we have that attitude before him that says, okay, God, yes, Lord, that's when that opens the door for him to work. That's when it allows him to bring them out of darkness, the shadow of death, to break our chains in pieces. Then 15 and 16. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Now, I know Pastor Landon was involved with the Fox Valley Jill ministry for a long time. He probably still is somewhat involved, but... He's not the chaplain anymore. How many of you have been to jail or prison before? I, I mean, visiting or, or in yourself. Okay, a few of you. They're pretty terrible places to be. And then you think of the, right, you have somebody who's an ex-con that automatically brings some things up in our minds, right? What do they do, Right? And then we have a ranking of how bad what they did is on our scale, right? It's easy to compare ourselves to other people. But just think of somebody that you think in your mind, all right? That being said, think of somebody that you think is the lowest of the low. Whether it's a criminal or it's somebody in your own life, all right? Somebody that in your natural self, not in your godly self, but in your natural self, you think of as down here. Doesn't this, this passage describe them perfectly? Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. They got what they justly deserved. Right? That's our natural human tendency. But guess what? That's who we are too. We're the fools as well. And we've reaped the consequences of our sin. All of us have in one way, shape, or another. Their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He delivered their, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He delivered them from the grave, from death. I mentioned I had this conversation with a lady at the post office about how God was vengeful or mean and you know, why does he, one of the, another thing she talked about was the problem of pain, right? Why is there so much pain and suffering? Why doesn't God change some of these things? This morning during my quiet time, a thought came into my head, okay, a perfect answer to that question is actually another question, which is, so you want God to deal with these terrible things, and the, which are usually caused by people's sin, Right? somebody's violence towards somebody else. So you want God to not allow those things to happen or to, to punish those things, perhaps, is a better way to look at it. 
Well, if that's the case, then we're going to get the same exact punishment as those people are. Right? That's the amazing thing about God's mercy is that, yes, he does allow the consequences of sin because he's just, but even in those consequences, he's merciful. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. What would we do, right? Here's this low person down here. They got what they deserved, right? And now they're crying for mercy. No mercy for you, bud. Sorry. You made your bed, now you have to sleep in it. That's not God's attitude. And praise the Lord that it's not God's attitude, right? Because none of us would be here today if that was God's attitude. No, rather, okay, so here's the consequences of my sin that I'm reaping, and it brings me to the point of realizing, like in the last section, I'm broken, right? I understand. I realize this is beyond me. This is, I brought this on my, myself. I don't deserve mercy, but I'm going to cry out to the Lord anyways. And that's when he shows his mercy, even in the midst of, of the consequences of those sins. There are some consequences in our life that we cannot change. They alter us forever in this life. There are things that we've done in the past that have created problems now. Right? Sometimes God, you know, especially with, with sin, God erases, he can erase the marks of that sin. But sometimes the decisions that we make affect other people as well. And those are consequences that may never be erased this side of glory. The wonderful thing, though, is that even in the midst of those consequences, God is near to the humble. Right? So, okay, here's the consequence of my sin. I'm going to be in prison for the next 50 years. Right? No hope of parole. Well, God's not very merciful because if he was merciful, he would get me out of prison, right? Now, what's merciful about who God is is that in those 50 years in prison, our fellowship can be sweet. Our relationship can be deep and intimate. God can connect me to other believers who can help me grow, right? That's who God is. He doesn't say, you made your bed, you lie in it, I'm done, right? No, he gives his mercy even in the consequences of sin. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord. So oftentimes in Scripture, God gives us pictures of things. He uses things in nature, and he says, here, here's a picture for you. Let me paint this picture for you so that you get a better understanding, right? And I think that's because we tend to be very visual, right? We tend to be very visual people. We, we use our five senses, and that's how we interpret things. And God is very practical. And so he says, okay, I'll give you some opportunity. So those who go down to sea in ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. 
They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Imagine a sea, a, a ship on the sea. Even a great ship. I have a friend who used to work in the Coast Guard, and he said, you do not want to go on the ocean on a boat that's any less than 300 feet long. Because the length of the waves, if it's less than 300 foot long, you will, hit, you will, you will do this type of thing on the waves, just normally. Because the ship is not long enough to go from one wave to the next. Okay? Now, you think of a tanker or an aircraft carrier, maybe 1,000 feet long, maybe 1,200 feet long. Okay, huge ship. You can go online and look up videos of ships and storms. And I don't care if it's a cruise ship or a tanker, whatever it is. There are storms that can sink those ships. There are storms that are huge that make those ships like a tin can. Okay, so this happens. This is, this is pretty neat. He commands, he raises the stormy wind who lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go up to the crest of the wave, and they go down again to the depths. They go into the trough of the wave. Their soul melts because of trouble. Now, I don't know if anybody here is, has been on the ocean on a ship before, but all of us face storms. All of us have been on that sea of life where we were up at the crest of the wave and then we were down at the trough and our heart was just sick. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. So what are you going to do about it? Job's wife said, curse God and die. There's a lot of people in our culture who are doing that. More and more, actually, get to the point of taking their own life because they can't handle it. And we've come up with lots of different strategies that try to put Band-Aids on things and say, oh, you can handle it. You just got to find the right support group and you got to find the right this and the right that. And what that does is it insulates people from the real problem. The, pro the, the reality is, the truth of the matter is, they can't handle it. And neither can we. No one can handle it. But until we're brought to our wit's end, until we're brought to the place of absolute brokenness, understanding the amazingness of God's propitiation for us isn't going to happen. Until I understand who I really am, how sinful, how wretched I really am internally, and how I cannot handle life on my own. I'm not going to trust in Christ. I'm not going to trust him for salvation, and I'm certainly not going to trust him for my everyday life. But those who do, then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Now, it's not a magic, you know, it's, there's nothing magical about it. It's not, okay, I surrender to the Lord and then everything is wonderful. Not the way it goes. But even as we're going up on the crest of that wave and back down into the trough, if our trust is in him, I don't just mean for salvation, but right now, actively, I am surrendering to him and choosing to trust him. Even in the trough, or up on the crest, or back and forth and back and forth. God gives a peace and a stillness and a calm 
that's impossible to understand. That's why it says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Whoever wrote this psalm had gone through a lot in life, in my opinion. They were well experienced with seeing God's faithfulness. Their automatic response was praise. Something good happens, praise the Lord. Something bad happens, praise the Lord. Right? Not a robot, but somebody who has been dependent on the Lord through thick and through thin and who has developed an attitude of trust in the worst of circumstances. He turns rivers into a wilderness as the, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Things are great. They are wonderful. All of our needs are being taken care of. Life is good. And things flip. Why? Well, in this instance, because the people were in rebellion against the Lord. You, you've read through Judges, I'm sure, or you've heard it anyways. Right? How many times does it flip-flop? Right? Oh, we're in trouble, Lord. We're so sorry. Save us, Lord. Right? So the Lord delivers them. Things are great for a while, and then off to my own way. Right? Everyone does whatever that is right in their own eyes. So the Lord brings the enemy in, and they're in trouble, and terrible things are happening to them. And finally, they get to the point of, oh, yeah. We walked away from the Lord. That's why this is happening. Lord, we're so sorry. Deliver us. And the Lord brings deliverance, right? Again and again and again and again and again. The Lord brings trouble in order to bring people to himself. He allows trouble, right? He doesn't, remember, he doesn't orchestrate trouble. That's a result of sin. But he allows it to happen and his desires that people would turn to him. Then it says he turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. Again, this is not a prosperity message, right? Of you humble yourself and you trust in the Lord and he is going to bring blessing into your life like you would not believe, right? So when you go out the doors, make sure you put money in the, Right? No, no, no. That's, that's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's saying. But listen to this. He turns a wilderness into pools of water. Okay, we've got irrigation systems that we've come up with, and we can move massive amounts of water or stop massive amounts of the water with dams. Right? We can do these different things. But there is no nation or technology on earth that can change the weather system. Right? Maybe we can influence teensy little things with the weather. But we cannot change the weather. Now, I don't know if any of you guys had much damage from the July 20th storms, right? But there was a lot of damage, and maybe some of you were without power for a while. Too bad. That's the way it goes, right? I'm going to sue the weather, right? Can't do it. You can't do it. Turn the wilderness 
into pools of water. Only God can do that. Only God can take a barren land, a desert, and turn it into an oasis. People can't do that. That is an impossible task. Why are we told that? Right? Why are we told that? Well, first of all, there's the the first part of it. Because God can take the absolute best of circumstances and turn them into the absolute worst of circumstances if he's trying to get somebody's attention. Right? On the other hand, those who trust in the Lord can be in the midst of the absolute worst circumstances and they can become the absolute best. Right? There is nothing that's too difficult for God. There's nothing that is impossible for God. Now, I think we get that out here, right? Like, okay, I understand that. Yeah, that's a true concept. All right, now bring it down into your life. Right? Whether you're a student, whether you are a mill worker or you sit in an office all day or you're a teacher or you're a mom at home, whether you're in leadership at this church or not, this is true regardless of your position. Man, woman, child, doesn't matter. There is nothing that is too difficult for the Lord. If you need to be reminded of a way that that's true, go back to your salvation because that is impossible for any human being to accomplish. And if God can do that, what is there that God cannot do? When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Now, this is a big situation, this is a small situation, whatever it might be. Right? You're a student, you're at school, there's a teacher who's not fair to you, or a classmate who's mean to you. Well, you in your own strength, what is the most that you could do? You could kill them, I suppose, but that, obviously that's wrong. You can't change their heart. You can't turn them in, from a mean person into a kind person. You've got a coworker or coworkers who mock you, who ridicule you, who dispense vile all day long. What can you do about it? Not much. What can God do about that classmate or that teacher? What can God do about that coworker? What can God do about that boss? Or about that child? Or about that spouse? What is it that God can't do? Well, we know he can't lie and we know he can't do anything wrong. Right? So therefore, what he can do is limitless. So what's our response? The end of that section, or towards the end of that section, it says, he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. So what's the response? The righteous see it and rejoice. And all iniquity stops its mouth. When we are confronted again and again and again and again and again with who God is, Iniquity will cease. 
and we will rejoice. Because it's impossible to come again and again into the presence of God to see who he is, to see who we are, to humble ourselves. It's impossible for us to walk contrary to him. Right? I, you know, this is something that God has cemented in my mind, thankfully, in a lot of ways, is that there is, a, there is no situation on earth that can happen that is impossible for God. It doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way I want it to turn out. Right? And whether that's on a national level or a state level or a local level or my school or my church or my home, whatever it is, right? It doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way I want it to turn out or the way I think that it should turn out. But that doesn't matter. I know that there's no situation that's impossible for God. Okay? I get that. Where I have the problems is with me. Right? Because I can say there's nothing that's impossible for God. But what's my attitude like in the midst of those trials and circumstances? Right? Is it one that's constantly trying to take control? It is. That's human nature. Right? Okay, we get into trouble. What are we going to do to figure this out? There's usually two responses, two, two kinds of personalities in general. Right? There's the, the take charge type of personality, and there's the wilt and melt type of personality. Right? Okay, so we get into trouble, and okay, we, this is what we got to do, right? You do this, and you do that, and you do this, and this, this will be the end result, right? So we're, we're going to take charge of this situation. And then we have the opposite side, which is, oh, no, the sky is falling, right? I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do, so I'm just going to stay in bed today, right? I'm not even going to try. That's kind of, in general, those are, I think, our two responses, right? One of those two. Both of them are wrong. Right? People who are more the take charge look down on the people who are more the wilt and melt. Right? Well, why don't you do something? Right? Get up and work. Go do this. Go do that. Right? And people who are on this side, oh, you're just so proud. You are so independent and you're trying. They're both wrong. Because neither one of them shows a trust in the God of impossibilities. Right? The wonderful thing is that when we trust him, we get to know his goodness even more. He's not just a jealous God who says, worship me and no one else or else, right? And so you will praise me in the midst of this circumstance or I will punish you. That's not who God is. Our greatest good lies in our trust with the Lord. Remember towards the beginning of this psalm? There's no one who satisfies but the Lord. There's no one who gives true satisfaction except for the Lord. So if your life is empty, go back to where's my trust, right? If I'm in the midst of these terrible situations and I know, okay, yeah, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, but I'm not experiencing any peace in my life, I might know up here some concept of trust in the Lord, but I'm not, I'm not being obedient here and trusting him. Whoever is wise, you've got to be wise. You've got to be wise. We have to be wise. This is, you know, Romans 12 talks about, you know, not, not uh, being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. God wants to reshape our mind from thinking like a worldly person, a human being, to thinking like one of his children, 
And that can be very difficult sometimes. But that's a process that God has taken us through of renewing our minds. Whoever is wise will understand, will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. He is good. His mercy endures forever. And he wants to do some wonderful things in our lives. Right? The question is, are we willing to do the gut work sometimes? Because it's right here in the nitty-gritty of humbling ourselves and trusting him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are so merciful and good. We certainly do not deserve any mercy. And God, that is something that we have to be reminded of over and over again because it's easy to think that I've got something. I can do something. I can be something. But the reality is, God, without you, we're nothing. So I pray that you would continue to remind me and each one of my brothers and sisters here, God. Remind us of who you are, your goodness, your mercy, your favor, your faithfulness, God. And I pray, God, that this week, and when we come into the impossible situations, that we would really see them as impossibilities for us. But not, that would not drive us to despair, God, but it would drive us to dependence on you. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. To God alone, who is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.